Health and Fitness with David Hollywood with the all-new Midlands Park Health and Fitness Club. MidlandsParkHotel.com Midlands 103 Hello and welcome to Health and Fitness. David Hollywood here. Let's have a look at what's coming up on this week's show. We're about to talk about pain and the survival brain. This is a new book released by Westmead Pain and Movement Specialist, Kieran McNally. What is chronic pain? How widespread is it? What are the real root causes behind a condition that affects a huge number of people in the Midlands and in this country? You'll find answers to these questions shortly. Gaelic Games is one of the pillars of most rural communities. The role of PRO is a pillar of Gaelic Games. You'll meet the new PRO for Leash GAA. And we discuss the research and work going into exploring the connection between psoriasis and arthritis. Now on Health and Fitness, we're going to talk about something that we all probably feel we understand. We can all relate to it and we all have experience dealing with it. But there's probably a lot more behind the word pain than we give credit for. And it's something that ultimately uh, has an effect on everybody to some degree on such a regular basis. I'm very glad to uh, welcome Kieran McNally uh, to the Health and Fitness Studio this evening, a pain and movement specialist based uh, in Monksland there with the practice there. Kieran, thanks for coming in to us on Health and Fitness. Uh, thanks a million for having me. Not at all. Uh, pain and the Survival Brain. This is a book you've just released, a self-published book. And I know uh, from speaking to people who go through this process, uh, it is uh, some task in and of itself. Um, what gave you the motivation to to put this together? Yeah, well, I suppose, well, I've had a cl- I have a clinic based in Athlone for 10 years and I've been seeing people come in and out of my clinic, obviously. And one thing I noticed with many of them was, was how uneducated they were on the topic um, and you know when when you don't fully understand why you're in pain that can kind of lead to fear and worry anxiety and it can affect your behaviour and it can affect your life so I really do spend a lot of time helping people understand why they're in pain and when I started to see that the, the, the effect that was having on their lives then I just felt like, okay, well, maybe I can, you know, give this information to a broader audience. And that's why I started to write it. So since we have you in and you are uh, certainly experts in this particular area, let's define pain. How would you define it uh, through your practice, through your book and in your own mind? Well, I like to keep things simple within, uh, within my clinic. Um, I just like to think of pain as communication. So pain is just one way of your nervous system tries to communicate information to you to motivate certain behaviours. And it's it's very similar to likes of tiredness. Like if you feel tired, you go to sleep. So that's just, again, it's another communication method. No different than thirst or hunger. When you feel thirsty and hungry, you go and get some something to eat or something to drink. So pain is another way that your nervous system tries to give you an uncomfortable feeling to get your attention to change something. So the body's sending us a signal like an alarm system saying something's not functioning right, this needs to be looked at. But depending on how we interpret that message, when we act on it, what we do in the meantime around it and how we feel whilst this is happening, I imagine that 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 pain can develop and exacerbate beyond what the initial complaint is. 
Oh, definitely. It can start from an actual physical injury, but it doesn't necessarily actually have to be an, an injury. It could be influenced by other factors that are going on in your life, you know, poor movement quality, sleep issues, you know, elevated stress levels over a prolonged period. And you may develop pain due to any of these areas. And again, because of because we generally as a society, we just uh, we link pain to damage. Well, then that's the only way we view things. And then once you feel pain, then you will, many people often just think, I am damaged. And then that starts to affect our lives then. Yeah. And these things can have a really, these things can stop people in their tracks in terms of their life. Specifically, chronic pain. Um, firstly, how would you define chronic pain over, over say, a, a once-off pain complaint? Yeah, well, so, so first of all, acute pain let's say, would be generally somebody that is in pain from zero to three months. Anything beyond the three-month period then would be defined as chronic pain. Okay. And the reason to do that is is because most tissue damage will heal within a three-month period. Um, so if pain is persisting beyond three months, it's less likely due to tissue damage and more likely due to the nervous system becoming sensitized for some reason. How many people like let's get an idea of how big this problem is like how many people that typically are affected by chronic pain well the sooty shoulders like one in five percent one one in five people suffer with chronic pain wow yeah it's just it's a silent epidemic um and so if you look at one in five people that are walking around the street they are suffering persistent pain every day and in terms of like that's a huge number and is the trend that it's um staying there or it's getting worse or better? No, like uh, chronic pain is going up and this is this is like as I was researching the book it's it's it blew my mind that like with with all of our technological advancements and pharmacological approaches and things like that chronic pain has gone up 10% in the last 20 years. So it's only getting worse. So it's definitely you know definitely Something that's going on within our lives is affecting the the influence of pain. Okay. So I personally, I believe it's a multifaceted uh, issue. We sleep 90 minutes less than we did in the 60s. We're, we're constantly stressed. We have financial issues. You know, people are running around after, you know, kids, getting home from kids. They have other social aspects. They have to go to their elevated stress levels and work for prolonged periods. And again, all of these constant stressors are, are in our life keeps our nervous system in a state of fight or flight. And eventually, there's only one way that our bodies can communicate to, to try and get us to change something. And pain is one of them. So this conventional treatment of pain, um, you... Uh, go to somebody, a doctor with a complaint and um, they'll prescribe something that <clears throat> might lower the pain and give you maybe a, a physical um, adjustment that you can make to try help it or it may become more serious than that. Uh, talk us through how holistic treatment could be or can be when it comes to pain. Yeah, so again, the conventional approach works for most types of injuries and pain because if you've experienced pain, you might go to your GP. They may give you some medication and refer you to um, for an X-ray, an MRI, or something like that. And generally, the the painkiller is enough to reduce the symptoms, so that person then 
will, will become active again. And, and again, the body is the self-healing organism. So once you're active, then your body prefers that. And often then that's enough then to reduce the symptoms of pain. If there is any tissue damage, your body will be healing that in the meantime. And then when the pain medication wears off or your course of medication wears off, generally the tissue damage will have healed and then that's why that conventional approach works. But the thing is, when, there is, when it's a multifaceted issue where it's not just tissue damage, where it could be the areas that I just spoke about, like sleep problems and elevated stress levels and poor movement quality, even when you take that pain medication, that isn't resolving those areas that are problematic in your life. So when the medication wears off, the pain still is experienced. And this can then lead to people thinking that they're still injured because, again, they have poor understanding of why they're in pain in the first place, which could lead then to more medication or they could be more rigid and more guarded. And then things like that then actually fuel the problem. There must be then a large or a high ceiling of available benefit and improvement of treatment if if the uh, treatment of these complaints was to bring in the more holistic elements and um, to maybe consult with the patient about about their environment uh, the, uh, and trying to figure out what could be behind persistent pain beyond the original complaint. Yes, in a perfect world, that's the way we should go about things, but we just, unfortunately, we don't have the time. Okay. Like, and the like for really to sit down with somebody and really go through their lifestyle and you know find out a lot about them their stressors their movement quality their sleep their life that takes time and um i wrote about this in the book that on average when somebody goes to see their doctor they uh, the average consultation time is 14.1 minutes and each person has 2.5 complaints so really you have about five minutes per complaint mm. and that is nowhere near enough time to really dissect exactly why somebody is experiencing pain. Now it's different if somebody has an ankle sprain because it's very easy to understand what the actual issue there is. But if somebody is experiencing pain for an extended period of time, you are never going to get to the bottom of the problem within that time frame. It's just impossible. There is no way around it. And because we have a problem with our health system that you know, we're, our health care staff are over overworked and understaffed and with uh, medical professionals emigrating it's it's just going to get worse you're listening to Kieran McNally author of pain and the survival brain a pain and movement specialist based in uh, Monksland uh, Kieran you mentioned sleep and the fact the fact that we're sleeping less now than we have done historically in the context of um, increasing numbers of people experiencing chronic pain how important is sleep to our general welfare in your experience? Yeah, well, like, like, I mean, it's we've we've had at least a million years of evolution and we've never evolved out of, you know, needing the natural seven to nine hour sleep. You know, we have five sleep cycles. Each sleep cycle is generally 90 minutes, but each sleep cycle serves a different purpose. And the last two sleep cycles generally is where your immune system is optimized, your emotions are are regulated and but like if you're sleeping six hours a night you may not be getting the the best out of those phases of sleep so then over time you know that that's okay in in the once off but over time that will compound 
And again, if you're not fully recovering, well, then that's going to affect something down the line. When we return, we're going to be looking in a little bit more detail at uh, some of the areas of the body that might produce more of these more vague pain complaints. And we're going to talk to Kieran as well about his practice in Monksland and how he got into this world of treating pain. Health and fitness with the all-new Midlands Park Health and Fitness Club, where relaxation meets rejuvenation. Find out more at midlandsparkhotel.com. Midlands 103. Pain and the Survival Brain. It's a book released by uh, Kieran McNally, who's a pain and movement specialist. He joins us on Health and Fitness this evening. Uh, Kieran, just before the break, we said we were going to talk about maybe some of the areas that are trickier to treat. You mentioned a sprained ankle being one that you can diagnose and, and treat uh, pretty easily. From a pain and movement perspective, what are the areas that give you more sleepless nights or as someone treating people uh, are, are harder to treat? Well, I suppose harder to diagnose in the general healthcare setting would be somebody that is suffering with chronic uh, low back pain. Mm. Because as I said, for people that are in a chronic issue, they're in pain for longer than three months at a time. So it's less likely due to tissue damage anymore. It may have started that way. So if somebody is suffering from pain for, and they're trying to get diagnosed, they can often be sent for an MRI and MRIs are designed to pick up anything they're that sensitive anyway Mm. so they might come back with a bulging disc or disc degeneration and when people get these results from these things quite often it's actually not the result on the scan that's causing the pain but once you see an MRI result it's very hard to unsee it so you may feel that you have you know you've you've damaged your back your back is wearing away in you and again, that will affect movement issues because if you're afraid, I could give you the best exercise in the world, but if you are afraid to do them, that can actually amplify pain because again, pain is a protective mechanism. It's designed to keep you safe. So if even if somebody says, do that exercise, it's beneficial for you. If you are afraid to do it, well, then your nervous system can produce pain to get you to avoid that movement. So that, so, that's psychosomatic stuff. That, so that's the psychological yeah. influence of the pain. And it's you have to ask the right questions because if you don't understand, that's why it's really important to spend the time to, to understand why that person is in pain. And if you don't have the time to ask those questions, you'll never get to the bottom of it because if I just give, see you with, and just look at your back and treat your back without treating the person, you're going to miss those things. So... Is that how you operate your clinic? Like talk us through, um, say, someone in, in your clinic presenting with a lower back pain that's been persisting. <clears throat> what do you do from that point onwards? Yeah, uh, honestly, like I'm assessing people. As soon as they walk in the door, I'm actually seeing how they're holding themselves. That like, quickly? Yeah, that yeah. quickly. And honestly, I can get a fairly good idea from before they even sit on the chair. What, Like, are they rigid are they guarding are they are they protecting themselves do they feel safe you're making me self-conscious in this chair now (laughs) (laughs) you're actually not looking pretty relaxed okay Um, but um, when they're sitting on the chair how are they explaining themselves are they muscle guarding are they holding the breath all of those things are cues you know so it's it's sometimes just taking the time to ask the right question seeing how how they're operating seeing how they're moving and that's giving me a good indication of how they're thinking because if you're tensing up and holding yourself, 
that again that can be driven by the psychology the fear aspect of that and you know for every psychological thought you have you will have a physical reaction so if you're feeling you know insecure or worried you're going to present that in your posture but if you're feeling unsafe you're going to tense up and guard yourself and again so it's asking the right questions um, and when you ask better questions you get a better answer mm. and then from that then we go into a general type of movement assessment but really my um, my what I suppose I get the best results with within my clinic would be is really trying to understand exactly how they're thinking so I can kind of wa- walk a mile in their shoes and once I figure out how they're thinking, how they're moving, then I work on changing the influencers. So I'm not interested in the actual pain itself. I'm more interested in what is influencing that pain and see if we can change the influencers. When you have success with treatment, I imagine the patient stops feeling like you've treated them as a patient but more as a person and they must have a a bit of a moment where they then understand that all of this uh, what they thought was peripheral stuff is actually central to the issue they might have had. That must be interesting to observe. Uh, yeah, it's really nice, but it's sad as well. Like when I see people's faces, you know, um, when they're like, wow, I've never actually heard anybody explain this to me before. Um, and sometimes when you take away that fear, you c- th- their body lets go. Mm. And it's lovely to see, but it's sad when you hear that they've been to so many different people and, you know, nobody's ever explained this to them. So you kind of there's it's it's bittersweet because it's bitter it's sweet in the fact that I actually get to see it and be there, but you know it's bitter in the other aspect of you know God knows how much their life has been affected up until this point. So you're looking at the things that contribute to the issue, and then you're 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 suggesting treatments to resolve it. What 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 kind of things do people do to resolve this? Um, Presumably, there's there's mobility exercises. Yeah, what so, are the therapies that, that would you be involved in? Yeah, so generally, the idea, uh, what I try to do is once we find out the influencers, we try to change those. So re- education is really important in that regard. But from, a let's say, a therapy point of view, I really focus on how do we get them moving better, giving them you know exercise that they do multiple times during the daytime. Mm. It's not just do this one today, three by eight reps, and then they move poorly for the rest of the day. It's explaining to them, this is why you need to do this over this amount of time. Again, we go back to evolution. For a million years, we would have been hunting, carrying animals over our shoulder, living in caves, climbing trees, you know, carrying our kids for miles on end. Hunter, hunter, we're, we're hunter-gatherers for hundreds of thousands of years. And in the last 20 years now, all we do is sit down all day. Yeah. So it's educating people that you need to move more, better more often during the daytime. And again, the better quality movement you have and the more resilient and the stronger you are, then the less protective your nervous system needs to be. And if it's less protective, then it produces less pain. Sedentary lifestyle, is that a big concern from it's, your perspective? It's a huge concern. Yeah. Like it's it's I say this to people all the time. I never get a gymnast in my clinic. It's only the people <laughs> that don't move well. Like I have there's a gymnastics club across the road from me. I've had one person in ten years in. One person. Okay. But like there's pharmaceutical companies all around my area. Yeah. And they're just sitting down all day. Um and you know, 
they're probably my biggest clientele. Yeah, that's it's it is interesting, and we can all relate to that work environment whereby, you know, sometimes the penny drops and you realise I need to go for for, for a ten minute walk at lunch just to get get the blood flowing again and and loosen up the muscles. Um, talk to me about how you got into this work. Like, what what mm. motivated you? How did you do it study wise? Um, uh, life motivation. What was behind it all? Yeah, well, really, I just got into physical therapy, but I didn't really t- think I would get this much into it. But once I started with this, I wasn't really getting the results with the hands-on treatment that you're taught in school or college. Mm. Um, And I was nearly beating myself up thinking, like, I'm doing everything that I've been taught. Why are some people not getting the results? So I I wanted to find answers. So I started to research into other areas. And I read a book called Explain Pain, which is a very easy to understand a way of understanding pain from a neuroscience perspective. And that just answers so many questions for me. And then I just wanted to know more about that. So then I started to uh, learn about the psychological aspects of it and then the social aspects of it. And then I wanted to learn more from the physical aspects, so the strength and condition side of it, the movement side of it. So I just spent a lot of time really understanding all these areas that can influence pain. And from that then... For me, I figured out then the best course of action was to help people build a resilience with themselves, but also improve their movement quality more often during the daytime. The book is Pain and the Survival Brain. If our listeners are interested, how can they get it? Yeah, well, they can. Well, if they're living in Athlone, they'll be able to get it in the Athlone bookstore, but you'll be able to buy it on Amazon as well. Um, I actually haven't got it up my website just yet. That's kieranmcnally.net, but I will be getting that up uh, this week. Um, but I would also say if anybody is going to buy it on Amazon, there's issues with Brexit. So th- to buy it on the um, Amazon Ger- Germany, so Amazon.de. De, yeah. Okay, good stuff. And uh, the clinic is based in Monksland. If um, people are listening and they can, uh, they identify that like they're going through something that they recognise in our conversation here today and they might want to uh, contact you guys for treatment. How do they go about doing that? Yeah, so you can email me at info at or you can get me on my website caremcnally.net or and my phone number is uh, 086-733-8963. You've been great with your time. It's been a fascinating discussion. The best of luck uh, with the book going forward and of course with the practice in Monksland. Kieran, thanks for coming in to us. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Next, you'll learn about a new study in Ireland and across Europe to help us better understand psoriasis and arthritis. Health and fitness with the newly refurbished Midlands Park Health and Fitness Club. Refresh your fitness journey with dedicated personal trainers on hand to help you achieve your goals. Find out more at midlandsparkhotel.com. Midlands 103. One of the more common skin conditions in this country is psoriasis and there is a team of researchers at University College Dublin uh, urging people with psoriasis across the country uh, to sign up for a new study examining uh, their risk of developing psoriasis-related arthritis or psoriatic arthritis. I'm very glad to say that a consultant rheumatologist and the study's co-lead, Professor Oliver Fitzgerald, uh, joins us on Health and Fitness uh, this evening. Uh, Professor Oliver, thanks very much for taking our call on the show. Um, This is very interesting indeed. Just how extensive uh, is the connection with psoriasis and uh, arthritis in this country, do you know? 
Uh, yes, thanks, David, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, psoriasis is a very common skin rash affecting 2 to 3% of the population, so roughly 100,000 people in the country will have psoriasis. And people with psoriasis and people who don't have psoriasis tend to think of it as purely a skin disease. Um, they'll be familiar with the scaly um, red uh, patches that occur on the backs of the elbows or in the scalp or um, on the fronts of the knees, mm. uh, or it can be, can be quite extensive for psoriasis. Um, but what people don't know, uh, perhaps, is that there is a form of arthritis called psoriatic arthritis, which occurs in one out of every three people with psoriasis. Um, it's a, a form of arthritis that uh, can be severe, um, can lead to joint damage, um, and unfortunately, there isn't any uh, test available right now that will diagnose psoriatic arthritis. So a lot of people who develop joint symptoms and have psoriasis and develop the arthritis associated with it don't get diagnosed early enough. They get diagnosed only when damage has occurred, which means that they may not respond as well to treatment. Um, so it is a, it is a significant issue. Mm. Um, and uh, one that we're trying to address as part of this uh, study. So this UCD research team, for which you are a co-lead of, Oliver, is looking for 2,000 participants, if you get the participants, and the study is conducted as hoped. Uh, what are the learnings that you're hoping to have and the objectives of the study? Um, okay, so David, this, is, this study is called the HPOS study, H-P-O-S. And... The HPOS study is a study of psoriasis people across Europe. Uh, we're hoping to recruit in total 25,000, um, but Ireland is trying to recruit 2,000 um, participants. Um, the study aims are to try to identify in a population of patients with psoriasis what are the risk factors for development of psoriatic arthritis. So we um, we will be collecting information on uh, the psoriasis and on any symptoms that suggest the development of arthritis in patients with psoriasis. And we'll be following those patients over a period of three years, and they'll be asked to, every six months, to um, r repeat the questionnaires uh, about any development of arthritic symptoms. Um, the study is easy to access. You just go online to www.hpos.study. Uh, uh, HPOS is spelled H-P-O-S. And there you will find information about the study. Uh, you can provide your consent to participate. And you can start filling out the questionnaires. Um, the, we will also be providing back to participants um, information about how they're doing so that if patients or participants in the study begin to show some features that suggest the development of arthritis, we will advise them of such and we will suggest to them that they uh, should seek medical assessment. So there is a, there is a benefit for the participants in the study uh, to get involved. But it's a long-term benefit, I think, that will also be important. If we can identify risk factors for the disease, um, if we can uh, do that successfully, 
uh, we put ourselves in a position where we may be able to prevent the arthritis from developing, which obviously would be the holy grail. You mentioned the holy grail there, and actually that's what I was just going to ask you. As a rheumatologist, um, conducting, leading these studies, uh, this must be akin to the cutting edge of your profession, uh, the, the kind of uh, the work that would give professionals in your world uh, the drive to get up every day as the, the, the outcomes of a, such a study, if successful, uh, could have real tangible effects and ultimately uh, reduce uh, pain for a large number of people. Yeah, no, that's certainly something that would get me up in the morning. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, trying to um, develop um, a, a way of predicting which patients will develop psoriatic arthritis and allowing us the opportunity to prevent it certainly would be a, a, a very significant uh, um, area of progress in rheumatology. I mean, there have been lots of good new treatments over the recent years, lots of good progress in understanding disease, but um, there's lots more to be done. And um, this is one of the areas that I think, uh, you know, I think could be very exciting in the next few years. Historically, what, if any, has been the obstacles to uh, developing a better treatment canon for things like psoriasis or, or psoriatic arthritis? Well, I think there are, there are several reasons, um, but one of them relates to the fact that we don't have a diagnostic test for psoriatic arthritis. So we can't just simply send off a blood sample to a lab and say, tell us if the patient has psoriatic arthritis or not. The diagnosis depends on uh, the uh, experience and expertise of the healthcare professional that's seeing the patient. Uh, it depends on the knowledge that they have about whether or not the, the link exists. Um, and because we don't have a diagnostic test, unfortunately, the diagnosis is often delayed so that by the time the patient eventually is diagnosed with having psoriatic arthritis, damage has already occurred. And that means, of course, that um, they don't respond as well to treatment when the damage has occurred. And certainly, you, unfortunately, you can't reverse that damage. So that's one of the reasons why outcomes are not as good with the psoriatic arthritis as, say, compared to the psoriasis, because skin, skin results and treatment are, are actually improved hugely over recent years. Yeah, I think many can attest to that even anecdotally as a civilian on the ground, as it were. Uh, that side of things has come on in a lot of respects. Oh, yeah, enormously. If someone um, has psoriasis, uh, but yeah. they might not necessarily uh, have uh, come across the idea that they might have psoriatic arthritis, what are the kinds of questions they will be asking themselves or should be asking themselves uh, to be able to identify the potential that they do? Oh, well, uh, there, there are um, three or four I think they should consider. And the first one relates to their joints. So have they noticed that their joints um, are uh, painful and swollen? Um, and if they have, that's potentially a, a sign of psoriatic arthritis. Um, but there are other features that patients with psoriatic arthritis may experience. So they, they may experience pain uh, or inflammation at the site of attachment of ligaments to bone. So for example, at the back of your heel, your Achilles tendon, uh, where it attaches to the bone, can become inflamed. 
um, and can be quite painful and debilitating as a result of that. One other feature that patients may get is they may get what we call sausage digits. So this is where um, commonly a toe or sometimes a finger um, may swell up a bit like a cocktail sausage. Um, and that's another feature that is uh, very typical of psoriatic arthritis. And the final one is back pain. It, it can also affect the spine. Um, and patients with back pain may experience pain and stiffness, particularly in the morning or after rest, which improves uh, as the day goes on and with exercise. That would be one of the typical uh, symptoms of patients with psoriatic arthritis. So those are the kind of questions that patients should ask themselves, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly be asking patients those kind of questions as part of this study. Well, we very much wish you the very best with it going forward. Uh, UCD's research team partnered with Oxford University looking to recruit 2,000 people. It's a, a large project, uh, Oliver. It, it, it's not just 2,000 people. There's a great number of people across Europe who will be part of this work. That's correct, yes. Um, the study is, has launched in the UK and Ireland. Um, it will launch in Portugal and Greece next. And over the next number of months, it will launch I think a total of 15 countries in total will be, will be uh, participating. Uh, so it's a very large study and hopefully because of its size it will produce very significant and important results. Well, if you are listening to this and you feel you might be able to contribute to the study and you're interesting in registering, simply visit hpos.study, that is H-P-O-S, Consultant Rheumatologist and Study Co-Lead, Professor Oliver Fitzgerald. Thanks so much again for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thank you very much for having me. You're about to hear from a community leader and Gaelic Games ambassador. The new PRO for Leash GA is on Health and Fitness next. Health and Fitness with the newly refurbished Midlands Park Health and Fitness Club. Take the plunge in a new routine with our swimming pool, plunge pool, jacuzzi, sauna and steam room. For more, visit midlandsparkhotel.com. Midlands 103. Now on Health and Fitness, I want you to meet somebody who is in a role that is well known across all of the Midlands and across all of the country and is one of the crucial aspects and positions within our community, ultimately. And, and that is uh, to fulfil the role of the PRO at, uh, in Gaelic Games. Uh, Leisha's new PRO is Una Mar, a Cluck Balakala woman uh, who has a plenty of experience behind her and she's joining us on Health and Fitness, newly appointed. Uh, Una, thanks for taking our call on Health and Fitness and congratulations on the new gig. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> uh, so tell us, first and foremost, the role of the PRO, be it at club or indeed at county level, what do you see uh, that role as being there for? Yeah, I suppose um, one of the, the main thing is just promoting the games and promoting the county and trying to get people at the games or you know, following us and getting in behind all our teams, I suppose. We... Yeah, that's probably, I think, a lot of people's summation of what it's all about is engaging the public with the sport itself and engaging the public with the structures uh, of the club or indeed at the county itself. How have you found uh, your initial time here with, uh, as Leash J.A. Piero? Yeah, it's been a busy month. Um, just like I was on the PR team last couple of years, helping out the other PROs and they've been very good to me since I've taken over. But it's just all the stuff you kind of I didn't know about it was just kind of getting down to it now and making sure programs are in 
and team sheets around time and little things like that and scheduling posts to grow. But um, no, it's been fun. It's, it's different, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> is it one of those jobs that the, the work is never actually finished? You just have to decide to step away from it for a little bit. Yeah, that's it. You kind of have to manage it. Like, you know, I'm working, so it's not leaving. I can kind of do most of my work for it. But um, no, it is it's enjoyable. So I, I never mind when you're enjoying it. No, exactly that. And um, from an inter-county perspective, you probably couldn't have hoped for a better start in terms of results. Off the top of my head, it's uh, all wins for the hurlers and the footballers in the league action so far. Yeah, no, it's been great. They both have had great success. And these guys will continue this weekend as they're both out. The hurlers are playing Carlo and the footballers are heading down to Tipperary. So, Please God, that will continue. Yeah, two big games actually in the context as well. We won't do too much sports here on Health and Fitness, but uh, for, for Leash listeners, obviously they'll be well aware uh, the Carlo game and the Hurlings are a real tasty fixture um, and a good test for Willie Myers' side. Yeah, no, it is. It's probably it's, it's one of the games I'm looking forward to most. And um, But Joe, our near neighbours, it's always a good game when you come against Carlo, but please God, we come out on the right side tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be posi- it, it it will mean that you're well positioned for the tail end of the league season, of course. Um, yeah, and and the footballers have been going very well with Justin McNulty returning. There was a lot of talk about Justin's absence from intercounty management uh, until his return, uh, but it seems like a seamless return. He, he's obviously been getting on well returning to the role. Yeah, no, it's the same as the hard the footballers are doing very well, and they're. Um, yeah, no, they're going very good at the moment and please God that will continue as well tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye on them here in Midlands 103. From your perspective then, uh, you were chair with Cluck Balakulla uh, who had fantastic success uh, through the Senior Hurling Championships, consecutive uh, titles. Uh, what did you observe as being the key to success uh, for the club? Because it's not just success on the pitch. Uh, Cluck Balakulla have... Um, done very well in terms of being a community club as well yeah no in fairness like we um, like we won 2020-21-22 and the 2020 final was pushed out to 21 with COVID and like you said the community they were, all, we're just a small club and everyone rolls in behind their teams you know we are hurling and Camogie and it's just it's been brilliant like you know and it really was the whole community behind the players and believing in them and they were doing the job then on the day. So it was great. Trying to probably generate that kind of momentum around the county as well. It's a it's a different beast, but if you get the buy-in from the supporters, it totally changes the, changes the atmosphere, doesn't it? That's it, yeah. Like, if you see the supporters in the stand cheering on the team, like it does, it really does spur them on in the day. So it's great to see it. Talk us through then what what kind of um, a normal week as the PRO of Leash JA entails. You gave us a hint of it there. Uh, you you have the day job and then in the evenings uh, you have to get down to things. So say after a, a weekend of action, um, how do you start the week from a PRO perspective? Yeah, so um, say like leading up this weekend because we are one home game, one away, you're contacting the other county that's coming to you to make sure that you have um, the team release and everything say in time for the printers and then I have the team to go out to the other counties that's the team that's away and just make sure you have everything ready for them because nothing worse than you're trying to get something to a printer late mm-hmm. but um, yeah then you just kind of um, 
keeping in contact with the management team or the liaisons and just making sure everything is ready to go and we're um, working very closely with each scales then as well and we're doing like mass day experiences we're bringing um, different clubs into Moor Park or Leash High or Moor Park every weekend when we're at home and there's music and there's under 11 teams are cheering out the lads to doing a guard of honour for them so little things like that you know just trying to do something different and it's working very well Talk to us about the Leash Gales because uh, this seems to have been a really successful venture Yeah so it was, it was set up a couple of years ago geez, I can't remember offhand what exactly it was but um, so it was just it's to re- all the money that is um, brought in is going towards our development squad so um, we're just trying to look after them and then we're also looking after the senior players and everyone kind of that's involved in anything they might need but then this, this year then it's the whole master experience for the young fans that love coming to meet their heroes and actually getting time with them before and after the games and it's been lovely to see it and then we have quotas groups coming in and singing and doing the national anthem for us has been really really um, good and has been really well received so it's been great that's one of the things that Gaelic Games has in spades is the accessibility of its stars and its uh, biggest names, be it uh, the coaches or the players, uh, to the public and particularly uh, to young people. It's it's a particularly kind of magic element of it that at half time or, or, or full time, um, families can just run onto these pitches and, and uh, kind of really be part of, of the occasion in, in a totally unique way compared to other sports. That's it. It's it's amazing. Do you see like a little kid getting an autograph or a picture with one of the harder footballers and their little smile at the end? It's just it's brilliant to see and it's great. And Una, obviously you've just got started in this role. The intercounty season is super busy in the first half of the year, uh, so it's going to be hot and heavy. You'll be kind of going from one task to the next. Uh, it's flat out, but. In your time as PRO for Leash GA, have you got any overarching ambitions or objectives? Yeah, at the moment I'm just kind of trying to get through day by day, learning new things every day. Um, how maybe in a couple of weeks we have a few ideas that we'd like to roll out, but at the moment it's just seeing how everything goes, how we get through each week and the games and everything. But um, you know, it's just then as well just to kind of raise the player profiles on social media. We have a few different things like for that and just getting to know all the players. Some people would be like, Do you know, I come from a hurling club but um the footballers they've been very very good for us, me and very nice to me every time I met them in um each hour more park. So it's great to get to know them as well, so as well as the hurlers. So it's been it's been good. Yeah, that's it exactly, is 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 building the profile of these players who are putting in such a shift to represent the county and obviously as you know full well uh, they represent their club club brilliantly as well and ultimately just like you're doing uh, everybody's representing their community so we thank you for joining us on Health and Fitness uh, we wish you the very best uh, with the rest of this season and your time in the position with Leash GA and of course the best luck uh, to Justin McNulty's footballers and William Myers hurlers over the course of this weekend and the subsequent ones Una Mar, thanks again Trevor thanks very much
As ever, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you've missed an episode of Health and Fitness, you can get us in the podcast section on midlands103.com. We're on Spotify or on just about all podcast apps. If you have a story you want featured on the programme, email sport at midlands103.com or text us on 083 30 10 103. Probably best to put that for the attention of David Hollywood. Joe Cooney is next with Country Roads.